Passion. So what comes to mind when you hear that song, Nearer My God to Thee? The sinking of the Titanic, right? Exactly. It was on that fateful night, April 14th, 1912, that the RMS Titanic hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean. And it only took two and a half hours for that so-called unsinkable ship to sink to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. In the early minutes of April 15th, the RMS Titanic sank. And many of those that survived, there were about 705 survivors of the Titanic crash. Many of those survivors say that the last song that was played by the band on the deck of that ship before it went down was Nearer My God to Thee. On that fateful night, some 1,500 men, women, and children either drowned or died of hypothermia there in the North Atlantic. They didn't make it. Those 1,500 men, women, and children took their final breath. And as they took their final breath here on earth, their final destination was sealed. They were destined at that point to go to one of two places, either to go to hell and spend eternity separated from God or go to heaven and spend eternity in the loving presence of our Creator and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to tackle the question that came in first place in our voting last week. And that question is, what are heaven and hell really like? So make sure you have your Bibles handy as we dive into this question, what are heaven and hell really like? Our first passage we'll be looking at today is in Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 13. So if you could turn in your Bibles to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, that would be fantastic. We're going to be in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. The Bible is God's word, and God's word is the pure source of truth. So this morning, we're going to see what the pure source of truth has to say about heaven and hell. And so I encourage you to pay careful attention because you're going to be spending a whole lot of time in one of these two places. You're going to spend a whole lot of time either in hell or in heaven. And so please pay careful attention to this message today. It's really, really important. It's something we all need to hear, and it's something our family and friends need to hear as well. So we're in Matthew chapter 17, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 13. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So although we don't find the words heaven or hell in these two verses, Jesus uses two common synonyms for heaven and hell in these verses. He uses the word life as a synonym for heaven, and he uses the word destruction as a synonym for hell. Here in these verses, Jesus points out two truths about heaven and two truths about hell. And so we want to take a quick look at each of those truths about heaven and hell. Let's start with heaven. Heaven truth number one. Heaven is the eternal place of life. Heaven is the eternal place of life. Heaven is a place where death and decay do not exist. 
Try to wrap your mind around the reality of that. In heaven, our bodies never grow old. They never wear out. Our bodies in heaven will always be in their prime. Imagine 2020 vision forever. That'd be pretty cool, right? Imagine perfect miracle ear hearing without needing the miracle ears. Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine being able to have no lower back pain anymore, no arthritis, no diabetes, no false teeth, uh, no prescription medications. And that's not even the best part. Since heaven is the eternal place of life, in heaven there's no more war. And so in heaven we will finally experience perfect peace. And since heaven is the eternal place of life, in heaven there is uh, uh, no more uh, loss of hope, no more depression, no, no more hopelessness. In heaven we'll finally experience perfect hope. Since heaven is the eternal place of life, in heaven there is no grief and no heartache and no sadness Uh, So in heaven, we'll finally experience perfect joy. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Heaven truth number two. The road and gate leading into heaven are very narrow, and only a few find it. The road and the gate, Jesus says, leading into heaven are very narrow, very small, only a few find it. So what does that mean? Sadly, it means that most people will not make it to heaven. And that's one of the reasons that answering today's question is so, so important. I don't want any of you to miss out on heaven. I don't want anyone listening to this message, anyone watching this broadcast, I don't want anyone to miss out on heaven. I want all of you to be in the minority who find the narrow road and the small gate that leads into heaven. So, What is the narrow road that leads to heaven? What is the small gate that leads to heaven? Well, God doesn't make us play the guessing game. He tells us plainly in the Bible that the narrow road that leads to heaven is Jesus Christ himself. He is the narrow road. And Jesus also is that small gate. He really is both. He's both the narrow road and the small gate that leads to heaven. In John fourteen six, Jesus says point blank, and uh, keep in mind he said this just a little bit before he went to the cross and, and died on the cross for our sins. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The Apostle Peter uh, says point blank in Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And many people these days believe that all roads lead to heaven. And that's a lie. It's just not true. It's not true that all roads lead to heaven. In fact, the Bible says the truth is all roads lead to hell except for one road. All roads lead to hell except the one road, which is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible is crystal clear. He is the only road. He is the only gate. He is the only way to heaven. In Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus speaks about a, a narrow road, but he also speaks about this small gate. And Jesus confirms that he is the small gate in John 10, verses 9 through 10. He says this, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Did you notice that word life Jesus uses again? I have come that they may have life. In other words, I have come that they may have heaven and have it to the fullest. So in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus tells us these two things about heaven. Number one, it is the eternal place of life. And number two, the road and gate leading into heaven are narrow and small, and most people don't choose it. Now, in those same verses, Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus gives us two truths about hell. So hell truth number one is hell is the eternal place of destruction. Now, do you know one thing that heaven and hell have in common? Something they have in common? They're both eternal. They, they both last forever. Both heaven and hell last forever and ever and ever. Well, I want you to try to wrap your mind around this truth. Hell is continuous, never-ending destruction. Never-ending. That means in, in hell, our bodies never burn up. Our bodies feel searing pain, but there's never the relief of death. Our bodies uh, in hell will be in a state of never-ending decay, but they will never die. I want you to think about it. The worst physical pain you could ever imagine with no relief in sight forever and ever and ever. Sounds just absolutely miserable. Just nightmarish, doesn't it? That's how the Bible describes hell. It's horrendous. But it won't compare to the emotional, that physical pain won't compare to the emotional and the spiritual pain that individuals will experience in hell. Since hell is the eternal place of destruction, there is no peace. There is no hope. There is no joy. Hell is filled with unimaginable hopelessness and sadness every day of every month of every year forever. There is no reprieve, there's no time out, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there's only darkness at the end of the tunnel. Only more darkness. Those condemned to hell face something far worse than your worst nightmare. According to Matthew 25:41 and Jude 7, hell is the place of eternal fire. According to Matthew 3:12, it's the place of unquenchable fire. According to Daniel 12:2, uh, it's the place of shame and everlasting contempt. According to Luke 16.23, it's the place of torment. According to Mark 9.48, it's a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. According to Matthew 13.12, uh, excuse me, Matthew 13.42, it's the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. According to Matthew 22.13, it's a place of darkness. And one of the most heartbreaking descriptions of hell in the pages of Scripture is given to us in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. It says, hell is a place where sinners will be, quote, shut out from the presence of the Lord. Uh, so I want you to think about that. Hell is a place where an individual is shut out from the presence of the Lord. What a nightmare. To be shut out from God's presence forever and ever. What a horrible thing that would be. Hell truth number two that Jesus points out here in Matthew 7. The road and gate leading into hell are very wide and most people take it. The road and the, the gate leading to hell are very wide and most people take it. 
What a tragedy that most people alive today are on a path toward eternal separation from God in hell. That's not a very popular statement, but it's true. Most people today are on a path to hell. Most people in the world today are cruising down the wide road that leads to destruction. But I hope and pray that you're not one of them. I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. I want to share with you a second passage, a really important passage, where Jesus is talking about being on that road to either hell or heaven and what's going to take place one day. He talks to us in this great chapter, Matthew 25, about a day of judgment. So we're in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, and this is what Jesus says, Matthew 25 Starting in verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man, that's himself, Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, excuse me, whatever you did do for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Uh, Excuse me, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger? Uh, When did we see you needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do, For one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is an important passage. Very important passage. This is so important what Jesus teaches us here. He gives us this this clear indication that one day after this life, all of us will be judged. One day you'll have to stand before Jesus and be judged. You'll have to stand before his throne and give an account of your life. On judgment day, you'll either be a sheep on Jesus' right or you'll be a goat on his left. If you're a Christ-following sheep, you'll be placed on his right side. If you're a Christ-rejecting goat, you'll be placed on his left side. And so Jesus makes it clear here that those on his right, the sheep who have followed him, will be blessed. Uh, Those that have rejected him during this life, the goats, uh, they'll be cursed. And they'll be cursed with the judgment of hell. I want you to take a look again at, at verse 34. 
Notice how Jesus describes heaven in verse 34 here. He describes it as the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Isn't it amazing to understand and realize that God has been preparing heaven for thousands of years? That's pretty cool, isn't it? He's been planning and and, uh, creating heaven for thousands of years. But according to verse 41, the eternal fire of hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So think about it. Hell was not made for you. Contrary to popular belief, God doesn't make hell for murderers. He doesn't make hell for rapists. He doesn't uh, make hell for, for abusers. God made hell for a specific purpose. It was designed as eternal punishment for the devil and his angels. Hell was not made for you. It was custom made for the devil and his demons. You don't belong there. You belong in heaven. So please choose eternal life because you belong in heaven. You do not belong in the punishment of hell. Once again, the only way to choose heaven is to choose Jesus Christ. You have to choose to trust in him. You have to choose to serve him while you're living your life here on earth. You have to choose to trust and serve him. In verse 40, uh, Jesus tells us that those who are heaven bound, he says this in verse 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And in verse 45, uh, Jesus tells those who are hell bound, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So Jesus makes the point here loud and clear that he is the only road to heaven. He is the only gate into heaven. So what you choose to do with Jesus during this life is ultimately what's going to determine where you spend your eternal life. If you choose to accept Jesus and follow him as your Savior and Lord here on earth, you will be on the narrow road to eternal life. That's good news. But if you choose to turn your back on Jesus Christ and do whatever the heck you want to do and live your own life and follow this, that, or the other instead of Christ... That's your choice. God has given you free will. But please know as you make that choice, you're going to be on the wide road that leads to eternal destruction. The choice is really up to you. Now the Bible makes it clear that one day every one of us will stand before God and be judged for the lives we live here on earth. But as we study the different scriptures about God's judgment day, it seems pretty clear that there are going to be two different judgments. There's going to be one that's described in the second to last, or actually the third to last chapter in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, and that is called the Great White Throne Judgment. Let's take a quick look at that. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, uh, if you were to turn there in your Bibles, you would see this Great White Throne Judgment described. It says that on that day of judgment, books will be opened, and inside those books are written every deed that individuals have ever done during this life. Everything that they have done, and in addition to that, every word they have spoken, and I believe even every thought that they have thought during their lifetimes. It's all recorded there in these books that will be opened up at the Great White Throne Judgment. And so it's important to understand that if you're there at the great white throne judgment, every hurtful, hateful, or profane word you ever spoke will be in one of those books. 
Every rebellious or sinful deed you ever did is going to be recorded right there in black and white in one of those books. And Jesus Christ will judge you and he will punish you for your rebellion and sin. If you appear at the great white throne judgment, you're going to be found guilty of thousands of sins that you committed during your lifetime here on earth. And the just punishment for your sin is going to be hell. But for those who place their trust in Jesus Christ and obey his commands during this life, these are the sheep that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, those on his right side, they'll not have to be judged at the great white throne judgment. If I understand the teachings of Scripture correctly, those at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 are only those who rejected Jesus Christ. All those books are going to be opened and it will be a just punishment in hell because those thousands of sins will be clearly documented in those books. But those who accept Jesus Christ don't have to appear at the great white throne judgment. Instead, they'll be judged at the Bema seat judgment. It's B-E-M-A, the Bema Seat Judgment. That's described in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10-15. through 15. In the ancient uh, Greek Olympics, uh, the judges of competitions would sit on the Bema Seat, uh, the judges' seat. And it was kind of cool how that worked when there was a runner in the Olympic Games running one of the foot races. Uh, the first place winner would get an olive wreath as a crown. That was equivalent to our gold medal. And after that first place winner uh, finished the race, uh, he would walk over to the Bema seat to where the judge was seated, and that judge would place a reward, that olive wreath, a crown on his head. And so that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do at the Bema seat judgment. The Bema seat judgment isn't a place where God hangs over your head everything you've ever done that was sinful. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus has already done away with that sin. Amen? He's already gotten rid of that. He nailed it to the cross. He already paid the price. He has already redeemed you from your sin. So at the Bema Seat Judgment, that's not a place where the judge says, you know what, you could have run that race better. The Bema Seat Judgment is a place of reward. It's a place of reward. And so what a difference. At the Great White Throne Judgment, the judge hands down punishment. But at the Bema Seat Judgment, the judge hands down reward. Big difference, right? Great White Throne Judgment, punishment is handed down. Bema Seat Judgment, reward is handed down. But there's the, this one thing that you have to keep in mind. At both judgments, people are judged by their works. They are judged by their works. At the Great White Throne Judgment, non-believers will be judged by their evil works by their evil words, by their sinful actions, by their sinful thoughts. And at the Bema Seat Judgment, uh, the believers in Christ will be judged by their godly works, by the godly words that they spoke, the godly actions they carried out, even probably the godly thoughts that they were thinking. And so what a huge difference. At both judgments, we are judged by our works. But let me ask you, would you be, rather be judged by your sin and your immoral works or you, would you rather be judged by your good and moral works? Well, obviously, we'd all pick the second one, wouldn't we? We all know that we've fallen short. We all know that we've sinned. We all know that we've made mistakes. We all know, if we're honest with ourselves, we have sinned thousands of times in our lifetime. Oh, how horrible that will be for everyone at that uh, great white throne judgment, being judged according to all of the sin in their life. 
so that it will be crystal clear punishment to hell is a just punishment for them because of all they've done. But what a blessing to be at the Bema seat judgment. And Jesus, having paid the price for our sin, Jesus will focus on what we did for him and reward us accordingly to what we did for him. I want you to understand that when it comes to judgment, whether you're at the Bema seat judgment or at the great white throne judgment, judgment is done according to works. But it's critical to understand salvation is always by grace. Salvation is by grace. Judgment is by works. Say that with me. Salvation is by grace. Judgment is by works. One more time. Salvation is by grace. Judgment is by works. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. These verses make it clear that there's only one way uh, to take hold of salvation, and that one way is Jesus Christ. He offers us, by God's grace, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of heaven. And we can only take hold of that by faith. The only way that you and I can be saved is by trusting in God's grace. Now, we usually miss the next verse when we talk about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We don't go on to verse 10, but verse 10 is really important too. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. You catch that? By God's grace, we have been created, not just to be saved and to be rescued from the punishment of sin, but God has saved us so that he could work through us good for his honor and glory. That's a great thing. So get a load of this. We are saved by grace. We are judged by works. But every work worthy of reward is also by grace. I like that. I hope you do too. We are saved by grace, we are judged by works, but every work worthy of reward is by God's grace. Friends, the only thing that can save you from your sins is the grace of God. The only way you can make it to heaven is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And once you're saved, the only way you can do anything that is useful Anything that is righteous, anything worthy of reward in heaven is also by the grace of God. So the question is, are you allowing the grace of God to flow through you? Are you allowing the grace of God to flow through your hands to serve others and be a blessing doing God's work? Are you allowing the grace of God to flow through your mouth so you speak words that are anointed by God and a blessing to others, uh, bringing him honor and glory? Are you allowing your legs and your feet to be used by God and covered with the grace of God to go where God calls you to do? Are you allowing your mind to be filled with the thoughts of God and the dreams and the plans of God? You see, God saves us by his grace, but then he works through us by his grace to impact this world by grace, to transform lives by grace, and to set us up for a place that when we set, stand before him on the Bema Seat Judgment Day, we will be rewarded by grace. Isn't that great? It's all by God's grace. From the point of salvation on, the grace of God is working in us and through us. 
And because he is a gracious God, even though it's him doing the work through us to do good works and carry out righteous acts to bring him honor and glory, even though he's working through us, he will reward us in eternity as we have allowed him during this life to work his grace through us in what we say, in what we think, and in what we do. We serve an awesome, awesome God. So I want to ask you, are you allowing God and his grace to flow through you for his glory. Anything I say or do or even think in this life that brings me reward on judgment day was only accomplished by the grace of God. And let me remind you what's on the other side of that Bema seat judgment. I'm going to read for you the first seven verses of Revelation 21. I've read these verses many, many times to people uh, to comfort them uh, when they were at a memorial service or a funeral for a loved one. I find so much comfort in these words that describe heaven. God allowed his apostle John to to be given a snapshot of what heaven is like. And as I read these seven verses to you, this beautiful description of heaven, uh, we're going to put some pictures on the screen for you. I I did a lot of uh, work this week searching for some of the most beautiful and gorgeous uh, photos of nature because I want you to see some of the most beautiful things God has created on this planet because the Bible makes it clear that anything here is going to be nothing compared to what we see in heaven. So as I read these descriptions of heaven to you and you see these images on the screen, I want you to think, you know what? As awesome as this is what I'm seeing right now on the screen, heaven is going to be so much better. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Wow. Heaven is going to be awesome. Heaven is going to be awesome. At long last we will see Jesus Christ face to face. And we will get to be with him and serve him forever and ever. I don't want any of you to miss that. I don't want anyone to miss that. When it comes to end times, I want to boil it all down to five clear truths that are taught to us in Scripture about end times and our death and what awaits us after death. Five clear truths. I don't want you to miss these. You may want to jot these down because these are so important for you to know, for your kids to know, for your friends and family to know. Number one, death is 100% guaranteed 
Unless the rapture happens first, you are going to die. It's inevitable. Death is 100% guaranteed. Truth number two. At some point after you die, you will receive a brand new body. You will experience a bodily resurrection. And you'll be given a new body that will last forever. So that's so important to understand. One way or another, you will last forever. Truth number three. After the bodily resurrection, there will be a judgment day for you. You will stand before Jesus Christ and you'll be judged according to your works. You'll be judged based on what you did, on what you said, and quite possibly even on what you thought during your lifetime here on earth. So it's important to understand you will be held accountable for how you lived your life here on earth. Truth number four, if you reject Jesus Christ during your lifetime, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. And the reason is your sin and my sin always separates us from God. And the only way that that separation gap can be closed is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Truth number four, though, if you reject Jesus Christ during your lifetime, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. If you reject the grace of God here on earth, you'll be found guilty for your many sins and you'll face the wrath of God on judgment day. And as the writer of Hebrews says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You do not want that. Truth number five, the only way that you will make it to heaven will be if you, during your lifetime here on earth, accept God's grace by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And you choose from that point to follow Him. It says in the book of Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But sadly for most people, when they finally bow their knee and confess Christ as Lord and Savior, it will be too late. It only counts if you do it during your lifetime here on earth. Once you've seen him with your own eyes and you're there on judgment day and you're having that mega oops, it's too late. You'll be held accountable for the life you lived here on earth and you'll be held accountable in eternity for rejecting God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so the only way you'll make it to heaven is by his grace, trusting him in faith, putting your life in his hands. Jesus is the only way to heaven and heaven with Jesus will be awesome. Amen? Amen. I can hardly wait. And I want you to be there with me. Let me pray with you right now. And if you have never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life, I don't want you to play the guessing game. Well, I think maybe I accepted him a few years ago. I don't want you to be thinking anything. I want you to know that you put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. I encourage you as I lead this prayer, I encourage you to pray with me. Please just close your eyes and bow your heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we don't like to talk about hell. We don't like, Lord, to think about hell. Because, Lord, it's going to be worse than our worst nightmare. Lord, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about that. But we have to, Lord, because it's the truth. And we don't want to go there. And we don't want anyone, Lord, our friends or family or neighbors or co-workers or fellow students, we don't want anyone to go there. And so, Lord, I pray, first of all, 
For everyone listening to this message right now, Lord, I pray that each one would make that decision to put their trust in Jesus Christ right now. If you're ready to make that decision for the first time today, I just encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me. I admit to you that I am a sinner. I admit to you, O God, that I have failed you and I need Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe, Lord Jesus, that I can be saved if you have mercy on me. And so, Lord, today I choose to put you in the driver's seat of my life. I choose to accept you as the Savior to save me from my sins. And I choose to accept you as my Lord, to be in that driver's seat, to be behind the wheel of my life. And I will start following your commands and following you from this point forward until I stand before you at that Bema seat judgment and, Lord, enter eternity with you. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. And Lord Jesus, I'll follow you from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, uh, if you have any prayer needs, I hope that you'll reach out to me or reach out to any of our staff at any time. And if you just made that decision to place Jesus Christ in charge of your life, Jesus makes it clear in the Bible that when someone turned from their sin and placed their trust in him, they were immediately baptized. Jesus has chosen baptism at that definite, as that definite point in time when you let God and the angels and anyone watching know that you are following Jesus Christ from this point forward. When you're baptized in, uh, as a part of that faith response to God's grace, it's showing the world I'm serious about following him. I've heard it described before as a branding. It's like, you know, that brand, you are now a follower of Jesus, and you bear that brand from this point forward. Just last Sunday after our service, we gave uh, an invitation similar to the one I've just given you, an invitation to accept Christ. And shortly after the service, I got a call from Steve, uh, one of the attenders at our church. And Steve said, you know what, I want to get baptized. And we talked for a little while, and that afternoon, I ended up going over to Steve's house and baptizing him. Uh, Steve had surgery the week before. He has some health issues, so he couldn't drive to where we had the baptistry. So we took the baptistry to him. And I want to show you in just a moment uh, Steve's baptism from last Sunday. And so I want you to imagine this with me. This baptistry was set up in his front yard. And to the left of the image you'll see in this video, a couple doors down was a neighbor who was working in his garage blasting his music. I was able to go over to that neighbor and say, hey, your neighbor Steve's getting baptized. Can you turn the music down just a little bit? And uh, he turned it down quite a bit. You'll be able to hear in the background Cindy Lopper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. But that was a lot quieter than it was a few minutes before the baptism. And so we were able to witness to that neighbor a couple doors away. And then as you watch this video, it's being recorded by the neighbor across the street that came over and witnessed that baptism. As Steve was there in his front yard getting baptized, making it clear that he was following Jesus Christ. He was a witness to his own neighbors. I'm so proud of Steve for making this decision. If you need to be baptized in response to your decision to accept Christ, we'll bring that baptistry to you if we need to. We want to help you with that decision. Please just reach out to us and let us know. And here, without any further ado from me, is Steve's baptism. 